So I recognize that God is calling us here at MCF to do something much greater than we've ever imagined. But I don't want church to be the same. Since God is real, evil is real. Since truth is real, deception is real. So we have to ask God, where have we been deceived during this season? See, there's always this assumption that because we think that our heart is heading in the right direction or we had good intentions that we're not deceived. But I think I've been deceived, leadership's been deceived, we've been deceived about how we've settled for the presence of God. So more to come on that. But I desire church to be more than pursuing, oh, sorry, I desire the church to be more about pursuing the heart of God than just managing church issues. Sometimes that's what a week can be for me. And it's not, don't hear that I'm saying that church issues are a problem. It's a part of the call to leadership is to manage church issues. And we help seeing people set free from those issues. But I desire that there's a church that we get to pursue his presence more than just managing church issues. Now, a church issue can be, look at our carpet in here. This carpet is disgusting. Come on, can I get a witness? And these lights in here now are really letting us see this carpet. So sometimes a church issue that you manage is, how do we fix this carpet? And then you rationalize, well, we don't have the money to fix the carpet. Or then you say, well, maybe we have the money to fix the carpet. But then maybe some people don't want carpet. Or maybe some people want a different color carpet. Or maybe people say, I have this carpet if you wait three years. And then now you're two weeks in, 12 hours spent on discussing and complaining and dividing people over church carpet. Now, I can use that illustration because we haven't had that, but sometimes that's what kind of problems you talk about. Now, since we're there, great segue, since all y'all think the carpet is disgusting, we're going to leave a little basket up here later that you can give to the carpet-solving problem. So you have these problems about dirty carpet and carpet spills or chair color or paint color or, or this or that or song selection, or so on and so forth, that you have these discussions in church land, and you spend 12 to 2 or 90 minutes speaking about these issues, which there's something to talk about, but we haven't even in one month talked about how do we make disciples, not only in our family, not only in the church, not only in our communities, but unto the world. So we spend 12 hours talking about carpet, and then we spend 30 minutes talking about discipleship. Like, if we can soberly think about that, that's probably not the scale that when we see God one day, we want to say, but God, look at the carpet. Look at the carpet at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship right now. Look at how good that looks. The carpet is irrelevant. Amen? So how do we move as a congregation to the serious things of life that actually sets people free? Because there's people in China right now who are worshiping and um, learning about Christ in a place that has no carpet, has no heat, probably has no lights. They have to worship without actually using their voice because if they sing songs of praise to God, they'll actually be heard. 
And if they're heard, then they'll be ratted out. And if they're ratted out, then they go to prison or they die. So they would love to be able to come into a building where they can cry out to their father and sing to God about how big he is and how much they love him. And then I'm going to the deacon's meeting saying, we better fix that carpet. Or someone's coming to me saying, we better fix that carpet. See, see, I got out of the water for a minute, right? I got out of that boiling water. I can say, here are some areas where we've been deceived. And I hope you, all, you hear all of what God was... I'm not pointing the finger at you guys. I hope you hear that today. What I'm essentially saying is I feel like there's so much more that God wants to bring us, and we've been missing it. Amen? So um, sometimes it's hard to communicate those things. But I don't want church to be about just managing a building or managing a property. Church needs to be about making disciples. Our life is to be full of meaning. Church is so much more than our, our opinion or preference. Church is about Christ and his body walking in unity. Church is about sharing his gospel. Church is about seeing the power of God at work. So a while ago, I heard a pastor say this. This is important. This is what the pastor said. And I'll ask you, I'll ask you this question. Um, no judgment with the question. Zero, right? Zero judgment. Um, but he asked this question. How many people has led someone to Jesus within the past 365 days? Raise your hand. Look, we look around the room and we say, what? What is going on? How many people have led someone to Jesus the past 365 years? Or 365 years? <laughs> I've had this crazy headache the past two days. Um, I started the car twice this morning on the way in. So um, pray for me that the headache goes away, but... Uh, and I haven't done this for a while. How many people have led someone to Christ the past 365 days? Sobering, isn't it? No finger being pointed. And here's what he continues. He said, man, no hands went up. And then he repeats himself. He said, no hands went up. Now, I want to preface this. This guy was preaching who he's talking about. He was preaching at a university, at a school where kids are supposed to be learning about God and living for God. And he said, I asked this auditorium full of people, how many people have led someone to Christ the past 365 days and no one raised their hand? But he asked this question. How many people have soaked for hours trying to climb to the heavenly realms? How many of you guys have spent time in worship trying to experience and offer praise to God the past 365 days? Raise your hand. Like I saw you guys trying to worship God this morning, didn't you? We did. 
He said, when I saw that no one led anyone to Jesus, I was like, oh, Lord, the devil loves this Bible school. He ain't threatened. Um, he said, what are we doing? And he said, where do we go from here? We have people who haven't shared Jesus for 365 days, but we have people who are willing to worship him on Sundays, worship him on Saturdays, worship him on our drive to work, trying to pursue the presence of God. He said, where do we go from here? And he said, and, this I said, um, and then I said this, who can preach the gospel with clarity? He asked him another question. Who can preach the gospel with clarity? I think many of us should be able to preach the gospel with clarity within this room. He said, but nobody raised their hand. Nobody felt confident to preach the gospel with clarity. He said, I'm like, he's like, I'm talking about the gospel. The greatest miracle, the greatest miracle that there is, that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave three days later so that you and I could be saved. The gospel. And he said, no one raised their hand that they could preach the gospel with clarity. He said, the devil had this Bible school right where he wanted them. He said, the devil loves this Bible school. He ain't threatened. He said, oh man, I thought to myself, they drank from the river and they died in the wilderness. Because you could be in good meetings and your life not be changed. He said, we could be so addicted to the sensational that we miss the sacred. I don't want to move on as a church, as an individual, any more addicted to the sensational, but we miss the sacred. As you look across the room and we say, it's been 365 days and we haven't shared the good news of Jesus. We haven't led someone to Christ. You say to yourself, what are we doing? Is it wrong for me to ask that question? Are you feeling judged? I hope you're not feeling judged. Is it wrong to ask that question, what are we doing? It's not. But I hope you see that. Like, the creator of the universe, God, the power of Jesus is supposed to be living inside of you and I. He does. In 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy 3 says, you have a form of godliness, but you deny its power. Are we the church that has a form of godliness in the American church, the global church? Are we a church that has a form of godliness, but we deny its power? We want the transformation. We have to start bringing up Jesus and the clarity of the gospel to those, those whom we love. We could be so addicted to the sensational that we miss the sacred. How many of us have settled for worshiping on Sunday? How many of us have settled for a drink and not the promised land? 
I desire a church that is more about furthering God's kingdom than receiving a check mark. Like, I believe that we're all here today because deep within our spirits, deep within our souls, we're hungry and thirsty for who Jesus is. Amen? Like, I am hungry and I am thirsty. I recognize that my spirit is hungry and thirsty. Every minute and every hour, we get closer to the return of Jesus. And I recognize there's a deep, 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 deep hunger. And I can feel this beckoning and this drawing of God calling us to greater. But then the price is right comes on. And then I say, well, God, only after Drew Carey's done, right? Only after the price is right. And then after the price is right, I don't even know what comes on. Well, then the news comes on. And you better believe, I don't even know if the news, I don't, I don't watch Price is Right. But, but then the news comes on. And you're like, well, after the news, after I check up on coronavirus and what's going on in Washington, after I check up in the wars, after I check up on that. And then you're like, well, I'm hungry. So I know I said after the price is right. And I know I said after the news. But now I'm going to say after I eat. And then after you eat, something happens. And you felt the draw of God. You felt him knocking on your door to say, hey, come spend time with me. Come be transformed. But then what ends up happening is, is we say after, 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 after. And I think we need to just give up and surrender. Say, you call me and I answer and I say, yes. Send me, I'll go. So I want a church, me being the church, that is more about furthering God's kingdom than just coming in on Sunday mornings and getting a check mark. I can't settle for the check mark anymore. We can't settle for the check mark anymore. Church is about sacrificial love for others. The power of God at work in and through his children. Because the church kind of seems powerless right now. There doesn't seem to be a lot of momentum for the church. Uh, we have the answer for the hurting world. But if we simply stay in the mode of only enjoying service, we miss it. Um, I pray that everything is heard on fertile soil and appropriate soil. And I pray that I communicate well and effectively without it feeling like judgment, but um, we have the answer to the hurting world. It's not about just enjoying service. And sometimes people need encouragement. Pastors need encouragement. Um, leadership, individuals need encouragement. But sometimes we've made church so much about us that, you know, a lot of the encouragement that I hear throughout the week is, uh, that was a good worship service. I really liked that song. That was a good song. Okay. Or, I didn't like the song set. Or, I didn't like your preaching. Or, good message. And then, I often ask, well, what did you like about it? And see, what, what's happened is we're such a consumer-conditioned people. We're such a consumer-conditioned people that what we end up doing is when we come to church, we're always grading and evaluating church. 
Can I get a witness? We come in here, and instead of worshiping God, we're evaluating how the people that we've paid are out here leading us to do church. And they're not even leading. And and here's the fact of the matter. Here's the fact of the matter. Sometimes the hard things need to be said to shake us and wake us up, right, out of this grading thing. But then you say the hard things or you step on someone's toes, and then more of it comes back. You ain't leading this right. You ain't doing And this isn't about me. It's just about church land. You ain't doing this right. You ain't doing that wrong. You need to do this better. And we need to quit grading church. If we keep on grading church, boy, I'm going to be fired or looking for a new job next week, right? Y'all are going to be saying, are you sure you're still called here? We need to quit grading church. It's not our job. Our job is not to grade church. Why are we coming in here and complaining, me, complaining about a worship song and saying, I wish we weren't singing this song because I should be finding ways to honor God in everything that I do. So whether the song is good or the singer is bad or the singer is great and the song is not, everything that I do, I need to find a way to worship God in it. But I can tell the heart of where our church needs God to do something because what ends up happening is people come to me and then I just hear their evaluation from multiple people. And I agree with this Mark Snyder. Mark Snyder is growing into his anointing. Amen? Mark Snyder is growing into his anointing. But I'm not over here grading Mark. Mark is not going to be the person 10 years from now who he is today. And Mark's not the person now that he was five years ago. But it's not my job to grade him. I'm not saying that we don't test the words that are coming from his mouth back to scripture, right? We always need to test his words back to scripture. But it's not about grading the pastor. It's not about grading the MC. It's not about grading the tech booth. And what we've done is we want that check mark, and we come in here and we grade everything, and because we're grading everything, we walk out of here powerless, and we miss the point. No matter how good of a preacher I am, no matter how bad of a preacher I am, the words are still coming from the Bible, So maybe I'm a bad communicator. Maybe I'm a great communicator. Maybe I'm a growing communicator. But it's not about I did good or I didn't do good. It's about was God's word in it. Amen? So until the American church, until the global church, until the consumer church quits coming to church and saying, this needs to happen, this needs to happen, this needs to happen, this needs to happen, and when all these things happen, then we'll have church again, we're missing it. It doesn't mean that we can't be rebuked. It doesn't mean that we're always right. Those things can also happen. But we need to move out of the consumeristic church. Amen? And the consumeristic church leaves powerless. And the consumeristic church doesn't share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because church on Sunday and church on Wednesdays is all about them. Amen? Church has been about me. The big church. The idea of church. So you can see why I'm asking that this year we invite friends and family members to a harvest party. To put it back in our courts. 
I believe God is calling us to level up. Church life has meaning when it has responsibility. One philosopher says this. This is interesting. Because your life isn't meaningful, there is no reason for you to accept responsibility. So you can live a uh, responsibility-free life and maybe one of the impulsive pleasure, and maybe one of impulsive pleasure-seeking. But a responsibility-free life at that. But the price you pay, it doesn't get to be meaningful. So look, you can have a responsibility-free life. You can complain about all the things that you have to do or are not going to do, but that means that you'll have a life that doesn't have any meaning. He said, or you could say to someone the opposite. You can live a meaningful life, but it's only going to be as meaningful as the amount of responsibility you are willing to bear. So then you might um, wonder, What will one choose? Because everyone also always makes noises about wanting to have a life of meaning. How many of you guys want a life of meaning? So people make noise about wanting to have a life of meaning, but if the price you pay for it is the adoption of responsibility, then it is not so obvious that people would choose meaning over pointless pursuits. If they had to, if the benefit uh, they got for choosing the pointless pursuits was that they didn't have to care about anything they ever did, it's not responsibility. So essentially what this person is saying is, if you want a meaningful life, there's going to have to be sacrifice. There's going to have to be responsibility. But what he's recognized is when you ask people to carry responsibility and meaning, they don't want it. So I ask you, how many of you guys want a life of meaning? Raise your hand. I want my life to be meaningful in Christ. So that means today when you leave church, you might be inconvenienced. That means for the rest of your life and sacrificial love for God, you might have to live sacrificially. But at the end of the day, because our heart is deceitful above all else, what we end up doing is we say to ourselves, God, I want to live a life of meaning. The meaning comes, and then we tell the people we're too busy. Anyone ever done that? Or we say, I deserve a day off. I deserve three weeks off. And what God was stirring up in me is... um, just this idea of how do we encourage through Scripture our church to be a life of meaning in Christ moving forward. And if we are going to be people who have the living Christ living inside of us and we're going to have a life of meaning, what that means is we're going to have to be sacrificial. Sacrificial in every area. In our finances, in our resources, in our time, in our pride, in the way that we don't evaluate church, in the way that we give, in the way that we receive, we have to become sacrificial again.
And what does Jesus tell us? There's no greater love than what? Than to lay down one's life for a friend. Now, ultimately, that was talking about his death on the cross. But you and I get to live into that as well. Sacrificial love for one another. So it's how do we become a sacrificial church? How do we become people that are willing to gather together and live sacrificially with the power of Christ in us? Because I don't... I, how many of you guys, honestly, um, could, would love church, church life, if it continued exactly the way that it's been going the past five years? Raise your hand. I was looking for one hand because I was going to say, I don't ever want to hear a complaint from you ever again. We know that God is calling us to something more. Amen? There's more. We have to get to that more. But that more, we can't say we want more and we want our own personal time. We can't say more and we can't, and we don't make time, right? If we say, God, we want more, then we say, okay, God, we want more, and we're willing to follow you wherever it is. But the assumption is this, is we say, God, we want more, and that means he's going to make us work 60 hours at work, then he's going to make us work 60 hours at church. That doesn't, there, there's no checklist by which God operates. Maybe the more this is while you're working the 60 hours at work, you're doing it unto him. Maybe you don't participate in the jokes. Maybe you have the hard conversations with people. Maybe you do the simplest thing of inviting a friend to a harvest party where someone else talks to them about Jesus. Maybe every 364 days, you share the good news of Jesus so that when the pastor asks, have any of you shared the gospel of Jesus with clarity the past 365 days, you can raise your hand. So, I think that we can live a life of meaning. But to live a life of meaning, we're going to have to re-up together. We're going to have to say we have fallen short. Amen? So, spiritually speaking, there was a bunch of stuff that stuck out to me during the time away. Um, but one of the stories that really stuck out to me was the story of Jonah. And many of you are familiar with the story of Jonah. And clearly, I forgot the pictures, but we'll show them at the end. Don't let me forget. Macy's like, yes, you forgot the pictures. So spiritually speaking, there was um, a bunch of things that God was working in me. But Jonah was someone who knew the mercy of God. I believe, as I look at the faces in here, many of us, if not all of us, know the mercy of God. Amen? Anyone ever experienced the mercy of God? Amen. Thank you. So Jonah was someone who knew the mercy of God, yet he was offended by people. Jonah was so offended by people that he could care less whether they went to hell. That's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? See, in... What often happens in church land, not just MCF, just church and how the enemies got into it and people have got into it, 
is what we've ended up saying is because we come to church and we evaluate or because we come to church and say, I wish my pastor wasn't wearing holy jeans, we become so stuck. Where else do you want me to wear my holy jeans, right? It's the Lord's day. So we get offended by these things and we get offended by people that then our hearts grow cold and we become offended by church land and we become offended by the church that what we end up doing is because we're so offended by church, it's like our heart grows cold towards people. And then we have politics and politics come in and we're so offended by politics that our heart grows cold and we're so offended by our friends or our neighbors or things that we just become offended and offended and offended that our heart grows cold even though we know the mercy of God. Jonah 1, 2 and 3. Here's what um, God's telling Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Joan, or actually, let's stop right there. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. There's people in here right now that are saying, if God told me to do that, if God spoke to me like he spoke to Jonah, I would do it. Anyone feeling that way? None of y'all? I feel like if God spoke to me like Jonah, generally speaking, I would. Now, I know that some of us in here, I don't want to be the bait and switch church, right? To where I make you vulnerable and then I punch you, right? That's not the idea, but maybe there's been a little bit of that today. I hope you've received that training, right? Physical training, spiritual training with um, the best intention. But essentially, what God says is, hey, go to Nineveh and preach. And if God spoke to us that way, then we would do it, right? Well, God has spoken to us because the clearest way for you and I to hear God today is through his word. Amen? Because the word doesn't change. We don't need an audible voice. If you're hearing audible voices, then we might need to check you in somewhere. But I'm not saying that God wouldn't speak in an audible voice, but God speaks clearest through his word. And today, God has actually given the church a mission. And the mission that the church has been given is to go and make disciples unto the whole earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the promise is this, is surely God will be with you. So God has told this church, God has told you, God has told me, that we are to go preach unto the whole world and make disciples. So essentially, what God is telling Jonah here is go preach and watch me go to work. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee the Lord. Are we fleeing the Lord with the commission that he's put on our life? Are we fleeing from what he has called us to? Now, look, I'm not saying that there's Billy Grahams in here. I'm not saying that there's uh, Pauls in here. 
See, sometimes the fleeing that we're doing is we're just fleeing out of rebellion, of lack of surrender, just to respond at the altar. Sometimes we're fleeing to give five bucks to someone on the side of the road. There's a rebellion within us. See, Jonah was mad that God would be merciful on Nineveh. And that is really the objective of the book, or really the objective of the book of Nona. Jonah is that God loves all people. We need to understand that today. God loves all people. Nineveh was headed to hell, but God loves all people. Amen? You think about whether, politically speaking, you got who you wanted or you didn't get who you wanted, guess what? God loves them. Do you believe that today? Nineveh was on its way to hell. God desires hearts. God desires our heart to desire what he desires. God desires that we are in tune with the things that he is doing. World Vision founder Bob Pierce often said this, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. See, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he was offended by those people. He didn't like those people. And what he knew is that his God would change their hearts. See, in the book of Jonah, God's heart is broken for the entire city, the society, and the culture that represented Nineveh because they were separate from him. They were separated from him. Sometimes it's really easy to point the finger at our political heads or our leadership or people that were offended by our neighbor or that weird person in your village, in your town. See, in Nineveh, there was a lawlessness that God had a plan for. There was a lawlessness for this world that God has a plan for. Now, what's interesting is we often say, well, God doesn't need us to defend him and God doesn't need us to preach his good news. Well, the fact of the matter is, that's right, God doesn't need, need us, but God moves through people. So God could have appeared oh, to Nineveh and said, repent. And they could have repented. But God didn't do that. What God said is, hey, I'm going to use Jonah to go preach this word. So, uh, there was a lawlessness that God had a plan for, and there's a lawlessness that God has a plan for today. Amen? He does. Yet Jonah, though a believer in knowing the power of God, wanting nothing to do with these people, he knew the power of God, and he wanted nothing to do with these people. He knew that God would be merciful, and he wanted nothing to do with these people. He didn't want to share the good news of Jesus. So I rhetorically speaking ask any the world, I want look at you guys, the world who's watching on the internet. I ask you the question, do you really care about these people, but within the past 365 days, you have not shared the good news of Jesus with them? Do we really think that there's a change or that God has a plan for lawlessness or are we keeping all of it for ourselves? Reflect on this a little bit. 
What can easily happen to us is the moment we feel threatened, attacked, opposed, or politically worried, our hearts begin to grow cold. We begin to write people off. We begin to avoid them. We certainly talk poorly about them. Now, what's interesting is, do you guys remember um, when Russia was really hated years ago? Russia's also hated now, or propaganda is causing Russia to be hated now. But there were these pens. I don't know if any of you guys ever saw these pens, but there was this pen that said this. Let's pull out that picture. Kill a commie for Christ. Is that up there? Christians were wearing pins that said, kill a commie for Christ. Believers would rationalize and celebrate the demise of people. And what I have seen is there's a generation of people right now who are celebrating the demise of people who are not living godly. Nineveh was not living godly, but God had a plan for their redemption. Just as God had a plan for Nineveh's redemption, I believe that God has a plan for our redemption. Amen? But we're missing the power of God, and what we're, what we're doing right now is we're celebrating the demise of people that God has a plan for. So I ask you today, what do your actions say about your care for these people that you're offended with? One author says this, the sign of Jonah, God's extravagant concern for both the evil and the complacent, for Ninevites as well as Jonah's, for prostitutes as well as Pharisees, for my enemy as well as me. The puzzle of Jonah, its perpetual source of wonder and doubt is this. Why is God so deeply concerned about not just Nineveh, but about also this man, Jonah? See, sometimes we think that God's just concerned and just loves us because we're trying to follow him. But God is also concerned for this world. Amen? So I haven't wished hell on anyone like Jonah, but I do recognize that it can be easy for our hearts to grow cold when we are thrown off the boat. See, sometimes life happens. We think we're heading for Tarshish, and we get thrown off. Now, in the scripture, Jonah says, hey, look, just throw me off. I don't know if he meant that or not. Kind of seems like his heart was just throwing me off, but he didn't have the kahunas to jump off himself. So they throw Jonah off the boat. And what ends up happening is, as you read Jonah, it talks about how God saved him from the bottom of the mountains. And in Jonah chapter 2, or what is it, 3, he just goes into this whole praising God for how big he is, for saving him, for sparing him. And then he gets puked up in Nineveh. Now look, 
Some of us have got out of a speeding ticket before. Cop pulls us over and we're like, oh God, if you get me out of this, I will worship you. Anyone? (laughs) Stu doesn't listen to that. We say, God, if you get me out of this, if you get me out of this, if you get me out of this. Well, I've never been at the bottom of the depths of the mountains of the sea spiraling to my death, and God sends something to save me. Now, spiritually speaking, he's done far greater. Amen? It'd be better that I never be in existence if Jesus never died on the cross for me. For you. Nevertheless, Jonah comes out of this celebration in honoring of how big God is. And his heart is so frustrated that what he ends up doing is God says, go to Nineveh and preach. And his heart didn't even change. So what he does is he goes to Nineveh, repent for the kingdom of God is near, repent for the kingdom of God is near, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And what we can end up thinking about is as as many people suggest to find Jesus in every scripture, where we find Jesus. Jesus in this scriptures is Jesus was the one who not only sent, but he also saved Jonah. And then where do I find me? Where do I find the world in the scripture is in spite of all that God has done, I can still have a heart that is rebellious and doesn't care about his mission for my life. Like God has commissioned, personally commissioned you and I to do something. And we feel like our lives suck because the world doesn't revolve around me. And God doesn't answer every prayer that I've ever asked. So what do I do? You rebelliously come to church. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. And you just walk around moping and sad because... You don't get to do whatever you want to do with your life. Well, actually, if you got to do with your life what you wanted to do, then you'd be in hell. Amen? If it wasn't for the interference of Jesus in our life, then we would be a wreck. So in spite of Jonah being saved, he still had a poor attitude. And how is it that God, the creator of everything, has saved you and I from the depths of hell? But we come to church griping about a song or carpet or the coffee grounds at the bottom of my cup. Anyone ever got that? God bless you. You're God's favorite. He's testing you today, boy. And thank you, coffee workers. Seriously, thank you. Um, If you got grounds at the bottom, I probably made it. I like my coffee deep and rich, baby. So God saved us from the bottom, from the pit of hell. And we walk around this life acting like the world revolves around me. Well, God, I would serve you if this or if that or if this. How can we not be happy? How did Jonah forget what God had just saved him from? Amen? How do we forget what God has saved us from? 
How do we not go to Nineveh, whatever the Nineveh is, with passion, with zeal, with purpose, with anointing, with a heart that says, look what God just saved me from. He wants to save you too. Won't he do it? And that's where the deception comes in. The spirit of Jonah within the world is we actually don't want a savior. What we actually want is a genie. We want God to do what, when, how, if all of the time. So the interesting piece about the story of Jonah is that um, after he was thrown off the boat and was spared, he praised God. Then God, um, then God did what God was going to do, right? All of Nineveh, all of it repented. Can you believe that? All of Nineveh repented. So I'll make a suggestion. If we haven't preached the gospel of Jesus to our family, to our workplace, to our neighbors, to our nation, to our friends, and to the world, then we are a piece of the problem. God, whether his heart was in it or not, uses people to preach his word. Jonah's heart was clearly not interested in preaching the good news of Jesus. But the word was preached, and what does the Bible tell us? The word does not come back void. So what I want to encourage us to do, and I know somewhat of it, somewhat it's been heavy, what I want to encourage us to do, and I'm keep on praying that God would help me understand how to encourage us and to edify and to stir us up, is encourage us to be able to desire and walk in the joy of sharing his good news to the world. To do it not out of this, my life sucks. Because Jonah shared the word, the sinning city of Nineveh came to Christ. So here's what Jonah experienced. I ran from God, didn't want to do it. I got thrown off a ship during a really crazy storm at the bottom of the mountains of the sea. God saved me with the fish, right? Big fish. Three days later, I get puked up. I repent like a baby, or I don't repent. I preach repentance like a baby to the city. All of the city, all of the city, over 100,000 people come to Christ. And guess what? Because the world revolves around me, I still have a pity party. And I go out and I complain that it's hot out and God provides a leaf. And then God is funny, and he sends a worm, and then I complain about the worm. And in spite of being saved from the depths of hell and seeing God and the power of his work and his power work through me, I still have an issue because things are not going my way. And until we have a generation of people that say, I care about the proverbial Nineveh, and it doesn't have to happen my way, we're going to miss it. And I personally don't want MCF to miss it anymore. And I personally don't want to miss it myself. 
anymore. So I can't be a piece of the problem. So if I haven't preached the gospel of Jesus to my family, to my workplace, to my neighbors, to my nation, to my friends, and to my world, then I'm a piece of the problem, right? All Jonah did with a, with a poor attitude, with a poor attitude, he preached Jesus to Nineveh, and they came to Christ. So if we are not preaching Jesus to the world, then they're not coming to Christ, amen? But they all came to Christ. So what does Jonah, yeah, he complained. He was so frustrated. Jonah was so frustrated about the way that his life was going, he wished that he was dead. And God said, you were concerned with the plant, but you could care less about the souls of these people. We've come, I've come to church. I try to make quick. <sighs> Sometimes it's just, the way life works is I'm not making you the enemy or the bad person. I wish I could preach to myself, but I'm also the bad person. And I'm not even, no, script, yeah, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Nevertheless, what happens is sometimes I come into church and I'm so frustrated with something that didn't go right that I missed the purpose, right? Jonah was so frustrated that God was taking the leaf and that it was hot and that his mercy was there, that he missed the purpose. How often have we come into church and we've been critical? Like, there's some people in the church that love it when Joey talks. There's other people in church that love it when we get a guest speaker. And no matter what week it is, there's some kind of frustration of like, well, God, why'd you send the worm? Why'd you send the heat? Why'd you throw me off the boat? And what, what Jonah is saying here is God said that, Jonah wished that he was dead rather than seeing the power of God at work. He was so frustrated that he wanted to be dead. He was so frustrated about the plant and something not going his way that he missed the point of souls. Do we miss the point of church because we're so frustrated with carpet or presentation or worship or politics that we miss the idea of souls? And the story ends. That's how Jonah ends. Jonah wished that he was dead. Kind of a sad story, isn't it? Is that the life that we are leading, a sad story? That we're so mad that things are not going our way, that we're not going to be used by God? So Jonah, the book of Jonah, represents a firm case to us that God moves through people whether they like it or not. God's going to use you if you just say his name, speak his name, talk about Jesus, whether you like it or not. But I hope we begin to enjoy it. If we want to see a world changed, we must preach the gospel and have a life full of meaning by forsaking all else except Christ. And that's my conclusion to everything that I learned throughout the sabbatical. We must be sacrificial. We must preach the gospel. We must know the gospel. We must be less concerned about ourselves and more about God's mission. So if we want to see a changed world,
We must preach the gospel and have a life full of meaning by forsaking all else except Christ. So how do we as a church make that sacrifice moving forward? I thought what I was going to share today was going to be like 20 minutes. It's been a minute, right? I personally know that God is so much bigger than what my five years has looked like here at the church. Um, yeah, God is so much bigger. He wants to heal people. He wants to set people free from sin and death. People being baptized. Emotions and anxiousness and depression being healed. Communities being saved and set free. Your neighbor that you're like never going to come to Christ, he has a plan for them. And we want to see those things take place. I'm not going to do powerless Jesus anymore. I can't. Don't want to. I don't want to move forward with the church that we just have powerless Jesus and we have political Jesus to give the gold star. And I'm filtering like, I'm filtering a lot of things, right? Because I don't want them to come out wrong. Not a finger at you guys, but it's like, I don't, I don't want to, I just want the power of God to be at work in my life and in the church's life so that when you go to bed at night, you know that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords loves you and he has a plan for this world for the rest of eternity. Amen? All that I want. And I think that I'm at the point as a leader five years in now that I say, we had to forsake everything else here at the church, get rid of everything that's irrelevant, start over and um, start over and just love God and seek his presence and seek his face and uh, repent and encourage one another. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray to ask, Father, that you would, your power would be on display here. Not for the sake of entertainment, but for the sake of um, you moving. I pray that when we see you move, Father, that we would joyfully partner with what you're doing. Because you're going to move whether the vessel enjoys it or not. So I ask that we would be zealous vessels that enjoy seeing you move. Father, I pray that we would be people that share the good news of Jesus with someone. That we wouldn't be right where the devil wants us, thinking that worship, thinking that worship is... Father, what good is worship if we're not obedient? And it's sometimes, Father, we come in here and we try to worship and we try to praise and we try to sing, and, but it leaves us powerless. So we've drank from the river and we've died in the wilderness, Father. We drank from the water and died in the wilderness. So I don't want to do that. Give us ideas, give us boldness, give us strength. When you call us today, when you beckon us, when you knock on the door of our heart, may we let you in. Father, I pray that we would prioritize you over certain things that, that have become habits for us. TV shows or thought processes or 
the thought that we deserve time or podcasts or music. May we prioritize your presence above all else. In Jesus' name, amen.